0: You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org.
1: our final, in our letters to the church, also comes from 1 John, and we'll be reading from the fourth chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent God's only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent God's Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in God, and God abides in us, because God has given us God's Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that God has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment Because God is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because God first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their siblings are liars, for those who do not love a sibling whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from God is this, those who love God must also love their siblings. May God be in our reading, our hearing, and our understanding of this word this day. You know, if I were asked to write those little titles that sometimes divide up the sections of Scripture in the Bible, I think I would call today's reading Talks Cheap. (laughs) It's a label that we can relate to because we live in a time when so very much of what we say and so very much of what we hear are empty words at best, and sometimes completely misleading. Marketers like to employ the clever use of meaningless phrases. Elections are won with promises that are really impossible to keep. Con artists line their pockets at the expense of others, and even the name of Jesus is strategically dropped in order to evoke a particular response from an often naive public. The world is more than ready to take advantage of the ones whose crime is to believe anything that they hear, any time that it matches up with what they really hoped somebody was going to say. Now, we're probably all a little bit guilty of word abuse, using language in ways that destroy the meaning and the integrity of it. A plastic doll, we say, is lifelike. New and improved products still do the same thing that they always did. We can speak of a holy cow and a holy God And what does a person need to do these days to earn the label great? You see, it's really easy to be grandiose in our speech, and it's very hard to be clear about what we're really saying. The letter that we call 1 John draws our attention to love. Love perhaps one of the most beautiful and simultaneously most abused words in all of the English language. We use it in our music, we use it in our movies, we use it in magnificent poetry and a vast array of not always so magnificent greeting cards. Someone has said that it's love that makes the world go round. But think how carelessly we invoke that word, love, and how frequently we waste it on objects rather than people. We love almost everything from chocolate to football. Sometimes our capacity for trivializing love can extend beyond our personal likes and our dislikes, To the very relationships that define us. I love you. That doesn't always mean I care about you. I want what's best for you. I value you for your own sake. Sometimes I love you is just another way of saying I'm in love with some kind of idealized image of you that you cannot really bear the weight of in reality. Or, I love the way that you make me feel. It really means, I love me. And I love having you around so that you can help me love me even more. That kind of superficial love can be set aside so easily when the object of our affection inevitably disappoints us. But one of the saddest things that I can imagine is a world without love. Because loving and being loved is the deepest longing of the human heart. So it's no surprise that love plays a huge role in the relationship between God and human beings. Little children, let us love, not in word or in speech, but in truth and action. By this we will know that we are from the truth. In other words, we can measure our alignment with the truth of God by whether we are moved to engage in acts of love. Words are not enough. It's too easy for our talk to become cheap. Christians have to act with love if they want to be Jesus' people. That's the way God in Christ acts toward us. And it's the way that God expects us to deal with other people. Jesus didn't talk about love like a philosopher. Jesus acted with love, and the action is gathered up in the message that love is at the very heart of the Christian faith. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said, and I lay down my life for the sheep. How many of you remember learning the parts of speech when you were in school. The verbs, the adverbs, the nouns, the adjectives. Well, John's letter suggests that love can no longer be classified as a noun. Nouns are static and they're abstract. They're the name of a person, place, or thing. Anybody remember that little phrase? It's what we do. It's not a feeling that we have. God didn't love the world by getting all squishy inside at the very thought of human beings. God loved the world by living among human beings at the cost of a life. We love others, friends, enemies alike, not by feeling good and all squishy about them, but by doing good for them, regardless of how we happen to feel. That is what proves our willingness to abide in God's truth. So love is action. It's a verb, it's not a noun. But how do we know the ways in which love acts? Sometimes real love has a way of not looking very loving, And sometimes our attempts to act lovingly toward a whole group of people have a way of bumping into each other. How can we trust that our acts of love will move us and those we love in the direction of wholeness and peace? You know, there's a concept that was popularized a number of years ago called tough love. It emerged as a way to help parents struggle with addiction among their adolescent children. The basic premise is that in the very beginning, the decision to use drugs is an individual decision. And so the decision to be drug-free ultimately has to rest with the individual as well. I can't decide for you. The book said that no amount of nagging or conjoling is going to change a user's mind. And protecting the addict from some of the consequences of their addiction is only going to make the situation worse. Ignoring the problem, it won't make it go away. What's required is this thing called tough love. Parents have to agree to stand back and to allow their child to experience at least some of the consequences of their behavior. And it's hard. It's hard for a parent to watch the consequences unfold. I can tell you from experiences in my own life It's hard to watch someone you love continue to make harmful choices. Things almost always get worse before they get any better, and it's easy to second guess tough love decisions. If I let her go to jail, am I failing to love her? If I refuse to allow him to use while living in my home, does that mean that I don't care? What will I do about the friends and the relatives who accuse me of unkindness, of abandoning my child? The answer to questions like these is embedded in our reading this morning, I believe, and it goes something like this. When you have all the options used up, have confidence in God. Have confidence in God because things are in God's hands. They are not in our hands. When our hearts condemn us, when all the squishy feelings are gone, when frustration and anger almost overwhelm, have confidence in God because God is greater than our hearts. And it's trusting God that leaves us free to act. You know, I had a friend who was such a mentor to me in my early parenting years. When my children were younger, I called her a lot for advice because she had lots of experience. Her standing joke was that one day she prayed for patience and God gave her six children. (laughs) So she tells this little story about one of hers. One afternoon, Sam, who was very young at the time, had gotten himself into trouble. I sent him to his room. Several minutes passed. I went to the back of the house to get something that I needed, and as I passed his bedroom door, I heard his voice singing loudly, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And there was this unmistakable emphasis on that word, Jesus. His message was really clear to my friend. You don't love me, Mom, or I would not be in my room. But at least Jesus loves me. Like most children, Sam knew how to make a mom feel guilty. And he pulled out all the stops. Mom, it's too bad you're not loving people the way Jesus wants you to. And my friend just smiled and she went on about her business because, you see, she knew that Jesus did love Sam. But she also knew that God trusted her to be the parent. And as the parent, she had to set those limits with confidence because she loved Sam just about as much as Jesus did. And yet she understood that it's often easy to confuse love with the absence of a boundary. I will always love you, she said to Sam. But part of my job is to teach you things so that the world will be able to love you too. That's how it is with Jesus. Jesus acted in love over and over and over again. He loved the Pharisee and the tax collector. He loved the woman who was caught in adultery as much as he loved his own disciples. He loved a Roman soldier enough to heal his ear even when he was being arrested. He loved Peter, who denied him in his time of greatest need. But Jesus was never a man without limits. He always spoke the truth as he knew it, truth that sent a rich man away grieving and some religious leaders away angry, truth that ultimately cost his life. So how is Jesus' kind of loving different from our loving? Why is he able to act lovingly towards strangers and sinners and saints alike, while we are preoccupied with talk, even cheap talk. Maybe it's because Jesus' love for people is rooted in people's ultimate value to God. All people. It's a love that wants the best for us. It's willing to act with toughness. It's unconcerned with appearances and totally concerned with the wholeness of every single individual. There's no self-interest, no hidden agenda, just a basic statement of truth. I am the Good Shepherd. And in a simple but incredibly costly act of genuine love, I lay down my life for the sheep. And church, in our letter today, it tells us clearly that it's our job to pay that forward.
0: Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is James. I'm a core member here at Eastside. I've been invited to... Bring the prayers of the people this morning. um, As I pray at times, you may um, hear me say, Lord, in your mercy, normally I would invite you to respond with hear our prayers. Given the message we just heard in the readings, why don't I invite you to respond with show us your love? Yeah, why not? So times I may say, Lord, in your mercy, you are invited to respond with show us your love. if you wouldn't mind just join me in closing the eyes for a moment and just taking a deep breath in, breathing in the Holy Spirit the holy breath and taking a deep breath out and just doing that one more time taking a deep breath in breathing in the Holy Spirit taking a deep breath out Lord we come to you this morning in incredible gratitude for this congregation, this building, this place that is East Side Church. We are so incredibly grateful for the staff and the leadership and the volunteers and the core members and the visitors who make this place a place of love. But we also know that um, this church This congregation is in a time of challenge. It's in a time of challenge emotionally, it's in a time of challenge financially. And For many of us who, after many years of wandering in a church wilderness, finally found a place that uh, felt like a safe and warm spot where we could worship the Messiah. There's a lot of fear around what might happen to this institution. Um, and Lord, we just ask that you would touch that fear, see it, honor it, and also remind us that you provide in your time for those who love you We are reminded in the readings this morning of the early church and the existential struggles that they faced on a daily basis. We're also reminded that the Apostle Paul wrote that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons could separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Bless this church, bless this congregation Allow us to continue your work in this neighborhood. Lord, in your mercy, show us your love. Lord, the weather begins to turn, maybe slower than some of us would like, yours included. But we know that winter is coming, cold weather is coming. Lord, we know that we invite and serve along with many who struggle with Permanent housing as the days turn. Tonight, as the weather turns colder, we ask that you would provide protection and safety for those who lack permanent and secure housing, access to food, access to water. We pray for the leadership of this city that they may listen to the needs of the people, rather than the needs of the few in the way in which they plan land use, the use of our financial resources. We just ask that you continue to work in their hearts to provide for the neediest among us as opposed to the wealthiest among us. Lord, in your mercy, show us your love Lord, we are grateful that many of our friends and family members, fellow congregants, and others who depend on a job inside of the federal government for a living are no longer facing an immediate cessation of their income. We thank you for a rare moment of agreement and reconciliation and bipartisanship among our national leadership. We pray that this may be built upon to tackle other challenges that our country and our society faces. We also know, Lord, that an election year is rapidly coming upon us. It is a time in which rhetoric is used to turn us against each other. Let us remember as we enter into this season the words of the apostle John who commanded us to not hate who compared hate to murder let us remember that and try to go into this election season with some empathy with some open mindedness and yet remaining resolute in our desire to use Government as a force for good, as a force for helping the most marginalized among us. Lord, in your mercy, show us your love. Finally, Lord, we know that state-sponsored violence and war continues in many parts of the world from Ukraine to Sudan to the Congo to Central America and other places. Lord, we pray that you would touch the hearts of those whose greed and envy and lack of compassion compels them to use state power to attack those who are the most marginalized. We remember that when the Messiah stood on the mountain and preached to the people, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray that you would raise peacemakers up amongst the world and protect those that are most at risk. Lord, in your mercy, show us your love. Friends, I now invite you into a time of corporate confession. The corporate confession will show on the screen behind me. You are invited to say these words out loud or in your heart as you feel called. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus the Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, I now invite you into a time of silent confession or reflection as you see fit to use this time. Friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us when we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Christ, you are
1: forgiven. Uh, we always have a little bit of homework here, and this week, the homework is, think about one thing you can do this week where love is a verb. Not a noun, but a verb. One thing. And then I want you to write down what you did, where love was a verb, and I want you to bring it back next week, and I want you to put it in the offering basket when we pass it. One thing, where love is a verb, write it down, bring it back, make it an offering. And now may grace, mercy, and peace from God who has created us all God who has redeemed us with love and God who sustains us for life, be and abide in your hearts this day and through the week to come.
0: That you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon if you'd like to experience our full church services you can find them at youtube.com eastsidechurchatl and if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at eastside you can find our giving portal at our website eastsideatl.org be well